Sorry about that. Really good to be with you. Good to be with those of you in the room. Good to be with those of you at home as well. Uh, my name is Rich. We're in the second week of our Blessed series, as Nicola said, looking at how we can reach out and love the people that God has placed in our lives. And I'm aware that for many of us, this series will feel very, very familiar. We ran this series four years ago, if you're a part of the church then. And so many of you will know that this is really about five simple missional steps that we can all do. So the B is begin with prayer, as you can see. L is listen. E is eat. S is serve. And that second S is not just share our story now, but this is about share. Sharing not just what God has done in our lives, but sharing the gospel. And where appropriate to bring challenge to people with the truth of who Jesus is and what that means for every single human being. When Jesus meets us, he calls us into this adventure of following him and making disciples in our own lives. And we see that, don't we, in the, in the, with the first disciples in the gospel stories. Jesus meets with very ordinary people and totally changes the purpose of their lives. God's strategy for restoring this world, as, as crazy as it sometimes seems to us, was to invest in just a small group of people who would then multiply and multiply until they impacted the world. And I want you to imagine, just for a moment, what it would look like if that really happened here. If we, if we really caught the heart of this and God moved in this. Just for a moment, picture one or two people who are in your life, very important to you, who don't yet know Jesus, what would happen if they caught the truth of this? How would that change their lives? How would that change the dynamic of your relationship with them? And then imagine that they started to invest in people around them and share the truth about who Jesus is with people around them. Imagine how this thing could grow and grow and grow. It doesn't take much for whole communities to be impacted. Now, of course, you might hear this and you might think, well, do you know what? I've heard all this before. And I'm conscious that many of us will have already written ourselves off from this blessed series, from being part of this for all kinds of reasons. Some of you might just be thinking, well, actually, I'm not very good at this. I'm not very good. I'm not naturally good at connecting with people and sharing my faith. Well, if that's you, I want to say to you that each one of us will have a particular connection, a particular relationship with someone else that nobody else has. You don't have to be in a position of... Uh, real influence and leadership and authority to have a connection with people. Some of you might be thinking, well, I'm too new to this. I don't know enough. I just don't know the Bible well enough. And I'll leave this to people who have a greater knowledge of the Bible. Well, if that's you, I love what it says about two of the disciples early in the book of Acts. They've, they've healed a man who was crippled from birth. They're brought before the teachers of the law and they speak boldly about Jesus. And then in Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw the courage, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were unschooled, ordinary men, just displaying extraordinary, astonishing courage. These men, these disciples, had no formal training. They just loved Jesus, and they were full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you might be thinking, well, I just don't have the time to be part of Bless. If that's you, I want to encourage you, this isn't really about more time. This is about more intentionality. It's about approaching those same relationships that you already have with a different mindset, a mindset that says, Lord, what are your priorities in this relationship? How can I use this moment and this relationship and this conversation to see God's kingdom come? And maybe for some of you, the biggest barrier is disappointment. Maybe actually you've tried this in the past. You've prayed for people, you've talked with people about Jesus, 
and you've just seen very little fruit. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years and the enthusiasm that you once had for reaching out has gone. Maybe because of things that you're facing right now. Maybe because of doubts and questions that you're struggling with. Well, if that's you, I love what it says just before the Great Commission, just before Jesus sends the disciples out. It says this of the disciples, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he promised them, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're to go with all our doubts and all our struggles and all our disappointments and all our questions. We're still called to go and make disciples, knowing that Jesus really is the only hope for this world and loving people enough to share him with them in his power. That is still the mission. That is still the adventure that he calls us into. So where do we begin with this? Where do we begin with bless? Well, where did Jesus begin? We're going to start in in Luke 6. So we're in the Bible, in Luke's gospel account, in Luke 6, verses 12 to 16. If you've got a Bible, you can follow it along in there. If not, the words will be on the screen behind me. So it's Luke 6, verses 12 to 16. And it says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, this was a really, really busy time in Jesus' ministry. His reputation was growing. He was healing the sick. He was preaching about the kingdom. And at this point, he already had a large and growing number of disciples. But now he's going to choose 12 of them to be his apostles. So these 12 men that he's going to particularly invest in and do life with. So what does Jesus do? Well, first of all, he takes himself away to pray. So the be of bless is begin with prayer. The example that Jesus sets us is that with any kingdom work, you begin with prayer. And we see this in Jesus' life. This is what Jesus did. Before starting his public ministry, the Bible tells us that he fasted and prayed for more than a month in the wilderness. Before he fed the 5,000, he prayed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's preparing for his death, knowing everything that is coming, he cries out to his Father. And here in this passage, before he chooses the 12, it says he spent the night praying to God. I wonder how many of you read that and think, oh, an all-night prayer meeting, that sounds fun. I've got to be very honest with you. I don't find prayer very easy. My prayers can often seem very small and mechanical and samey. I read about great prayer warriors, but I find my own prayer life can be a bit dull and a bit of a struggle. I get distracted in prayer. I don't pray as often as I'd like to, and I don't pray as well as I'd like to. So just a quick straw poll for a moment. How many people here would say that your prayer life is not quite where you'd like it to be? Okay, that's good. I'm not alone in this. That is encouraging. You know, sometimes the best way to learn to pray is just to pray. So this week, we're going to do that. We're going to make space, as we've heard from Shay. We're going to make space on Monday night, on Wednesday night, on Friday night to pray. 
And if you find prayer a particular struggle, I want to draw you to Wednesday night and Wednesday morning as well. We're going to run two prayer experiences on Wednesday. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray in all kinds of different ways, through worship, through quieting ourselves with scripture, through getting together with others in a group. And we're going to pray together. Really want to encourage you to come along to that. But as I've been considering this preach, I found the Lord speaking to me about three things particularly. Three things, partnership, power, and persistence. Partnership, power, and persistence. Three Ps. And I know that's a very preachery thing to do, but go with me. It helps me to have this kind of structure. So first of all, partnership. See, all kingdom work is about partnership with the Father. When you think about it, isn't it remarkable that Jesus felt the need to pray? Because this is the Son of God who spoke life into being. This is the one in whom and for whom all things were created. He's the one who sustains all things by his powerful word. And yet before anything, Jesus got down on his knees and he prayed. And he made himself dependent on his father and he asked his father for help. I often wonder what that night of prayer was like for Jesus, that all night of prayer, that all nighter between the father and the son. I wonder were there moments where Jesus was just praising his father for who he is. Were there moments of laughter, moments of tears? Were there moments of silence where Jesus and his father just spent time in each other's presence? Jesus would have been talking about his ministry and asking his father, Father, where do I go with this? Help me in this. Moments of real closeness. I don't think it would have been mechanical or dull or repetitive. It would have been full of life, full of relationship. Do you know, if Jesus needed to pray, then we need to pray too. God's great desire for us is that we had no relationship with him. One of the primary ways that we live out that relationship is being in a regular rhythm of prayer. So as much as you love your friends and family who don't yet know Jesus, you know, you cannot give them the one thing they need most. You cannot give them salvation. Their salvation depends entirely on the Father. And so we must partner with him through prayer. So I want to encourage you, you've all got blessed cards on your seats. We're going to make some space later on to write down names of people in your life who don't yet know Jesus. I want to encourage you, before you even do that, ask God, Lord, who do you want me to put on that list? Because you know, the Father might put people on your heart who you wouldn't think to add. I mean, look at Jesus' list. Would you choose this group of people? You've got Simon Peter. Simon Peter often speaks before thinking through the consequences. Jesus at one point calls him Satan. He falls apart when a young servant girl asks him if he knows Jesus. Then there's James and John. They're called the sons of thunder. There's Thomas, who's full of doubt. There's Matthew, the tax collector, who's hated by the Jews, alongside Simon, who's a religious zealot. I bet they were interesting together. And then, of course, there's Judas. And you look at this list and you think, well, how can this possibly be an answer to prayer? Many of these men will totally disappoint Jesus with their lack of faith. And all of them will let him down when he needs them most. And you can imagine Jesus saying to the Father, really? Are you sure? I mean, no wonder he was praying all night. And yet these are the very men that Jesus will spend his time investing in. So even as you write your blessed list, partner with God in it. Partner with God as you put that list of people together and leave space on your list for today. Let me explain what I mean by that. Every day is an opportunity to partner with God. You'll have a list of people who you're praying for regularly. 
But this is also about starting each day by saying, Holy Spirit, I want to partner with you today, with the people that I meet, with the conversations that I have. Help me to be aware of your prompting today. But then once you've got this list of people that you love and that you're praying for, what do you pray for people? How do we stop our prayers becoming repetitive and dull? Well, Pete Gregg is one of the founders of 24-7 Prayer. I love Pete Gregg. I love, it be- I love him because he makes prayer sound really exciting and revolutionary. And he's written this brilliant book called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Great book, really helpful book. And in it, he suggests three things that we can do when we're praying for other people. And it's this, get informed, get inspired, and get indignant. First of all, get informed. See, I don't know about you, but my prayers can be very vague sometimes. Like I say, Lord, bless my kids, bless my friends. And they're good prayers, but you can imagine the Lord saying, yeah, but what do you want me to do for them? So let's get informed. Let's ask people what we can pray for them. Call a friend and say, how can I pray for you today? Or if a friend tells us about a particular situation in, our, in their lives, just say to them, well, what in particular can I pray? And it sounds very obvious, but let's get informed as we pray. Let's get inspired. Ask God, what does he want to say to this person? What does he want to say about this person? How does he see them? What are his priorities for this person? See, when I'm praying for people on my blessed list, I have to remember that God loves these people much more than I do. So as I pray, I'm partnering with him in his bigger plan for humanity. This is what Jesus came for. He came to seek and save the lost so we can pray in line with the things that he wants. I love the way the Apostle Paul prayed for people. In Ephesians 3, it says this, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's a great prayer, isn't it? That is a God-inspired prayer. We can pray prayers like that, that the Lord would open people's eyes and soften their hearts to see this Father who loves them. If you've got a long list of people that you're praying for, it might be that you actually don't pray for each person in lots of detail every day, but actually that you ask God to draw you to one particular person that day and to ask him to say what he wants to say about that particular person. Lord, what do you want me to say about this person today? Let's get some divine inspiration And then sometimes we're to get indignant. Do you know, I don't believe that God minds us getting a bit angry in our prayers sometimes. The the prayers in the book of Psalms convince me of that. When we pray in line with what God wants for people, we can feel angry at the brokenness and the darkness of this world. I believe we should feel angry at the brokenness and the darkness of this world. Angry that God's kingdom hasn't yet come in all, its, in all its glory. and Angry that there are people who we know and love who are blinded to the truth of who they are in Jesus. Blinded to the truth that there's a father who desperately loves them and who wants them to know him. And if you're not feeling that indignant, if you're not feeling that sense of anger, ask the Lord to break your heart for what breaks his. Press into his heart and his authority and cry out for him to intervene. Prayer is about partnering with God and his plans for this world. And you know, there's power when we pray. Let's not underestimate, church, the power of our prayers. One person who's always near the top of my blessed list is my sister. I love her. 
I love her family. We're very close. We have a really, really good relationship. The only thing that complicates that relationship is that she lives just south of Sydney on the east coast of Australia. And so eating with her is quite difficult. Regular conversation is difficult. But one thing that I can do regularly is to pray for her. And it can seem a really small thing, can't it? We can say things like, let me just pray. And we can see the door, the prayer as the doorway to other things and that the real stuff happens when we chat with people and connect with people. And we do want to get to those places. But actually, let's not underestimate the power of prayer itself. If this battle is a spiritual one, then maybe prayer is our greatest weapon of all. The Apostle Paul wrote, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, through prayer, we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. The biblical narrative is that the people in our lives who don't yet know Jesus are living in darkness. And Jesus taught his followers to pray, Father, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done? So where people we know and love are blinded to the truth of who God is, Jesus asks us to invite the kingdom of God to break into their lives. And as I say this, I'm very aware that there may be things that you're facing in your own life right now where you're asking, where is God in this? Where is God in this? And I know there are specific situations in our church family right now where many of us are asking, why is God not answering these prayers in the way that we'd love him to? And you know, sometimes we just don't know. And that's painful. And we just don't know. But don't let that stop us from praying. See, the enemy would love us to come to the conclusion that our prayers don't make any bit of difference. But do not let him fool you. Because when God's people pray, the Lord moves. And we see this throughout history. The revival in the Scottish Hebrides between 1949 and 1952 can be traced back to two old prayer warriors who wouldn't give up. Peggy and Christine Smith. Peggy was 84 and blind, and her sister Christine was 82 and bent double with arthritis. If you've written yourself off from blessed, then look at these two prayer warriors. In the world's terms, they were very weak and powerless, but they prayed, and one of them is given a vision of young people filling the churches, and in the coming weeks, that's exactly what happened. There was a huge move of the Holy Spirit, and churches were filled with young people, and there were signs and wonders and the tangible presence of God, and the majority of the population surrendered their lives to Jesus. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. In the late 1980s in East Germany, more than 70,000 people filled the streets of Leipzig every Monday night to pray for a peaceful end to communism. And the authorities threatened to crush that revolution with whatever means necessary. But a month to the day after the biggest prayer rally, the Berlin Wall came down. And one communist official at the time said they'd been ready for any eventuality, but not for candles and prayers. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Pete Gregg writes, the hinge of human history is the bended knee. The hinge of human history is the bended knee. I love that. The remarkable truth is that in his great wisdom and authority and knowledge and humility, the Father has designed this world so that he works in partnership with his children. He has given us power. He invites us to partner with him in seeing his kingdom come. 
So whatever you've experienced and whatever you're experiencing right now, don't belittle your prayers. Your prayers have power. However hard, however much of a struggle it can sometimes feel, it's never just prayer. Prayer isn't a small deal. Prayer is how we stand against the darkness of this world and invite God's greater kingdom to break in. There is power when we pray. And the last thing I feel led to speaking to this morning is persistence. If you're anything like me, you will look at your blessed list, your list of people in your life right now who don't know Jesus, and you'll look at these people, and if you're honest, that list will look very similar to how it looked four years ago. And you're inspired by people in the church hearing from God and stepping out in faith, but actually it seems very different to your own experience. You hear stories of answered prayer, but they're not your stories. You just haven't seen much fruit And the people on your list may seem no closer to God. In fact, maybe they seem further away than ever. What do we do in those situations? Well, I'm going to invite Ron and Joy to come up for a moment. We're going to hear a testimony of perseverance in prayer. Let's make Ron and Joy feel really, really welcome and encouraged. Shay, can I grab a mic for Ron and Joy? Thanks. So thank you, Ron Joy. Really good to have you up here. I know for many years you prayed, as many parents will be doing, you prayed for your three children to come to know Jesus. And for many years, those prayers seem unanswered. Can you tell us a bit about what that was like in that time? It was in a very, we felt as though we were in a very dark place at the time. We felt as though we were in a tunnel, um, a very long, dark tunnel that didn't have any lights at either end. Um, The children were all dedicated in the church and they all had wonderful words of prophecy over them, but we were in a situation where we weren't seeing any of that being fulfilled. They were all going their own way and they were going down paths that were destroying their lives. And as parents, we don't want to see that for our children. Um, we found it very difficult. And uh, I used to pray and pray. And we used to come together and pray. Uh, and usually we found that things got worse. And um, in the end, I said to Ron, well, perhaps if we pray that they get worse, they'll get better. <laughs> Um, and also Sundays were a very difficult time for me. I, I used to dread coming on a Sunday morning because all I could see were happy families. Um, and we were in that situation, I suppose, for about 10 years. Okay. Thanks, Joey. And then, Ron, so what was, what was it like for you in that time? How was the Lord speaking? And as you look back now, what was the Lord doing in that, in that time? Good question. Uh, when we were going through it, I had no idea. It was, it was a terrible time. The kids had gone off the rails really badly, and it was, there was a breakdown in trust. We couldn't trust them. Um, it had implications for leaving money around, all sorts of things going on. And, uh, but we, we met together with other people. I think that was a key thing. We always knew that the church is important, that fellowship is important, that brothers and sisters in Christ is important. We knew that. But I think we appreciated it at an even deeper level because we used to meet with a small group 
and we used to share exactly what was going on. We were very honest. We didn't hide what was going on. And because of that, people were able to pray with us. And even this morning, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about the episode where the children of Israel were being attacked by the Amalekites. And Moses went up on the hill and he raised his arms to pray. And when he raised his arms to pray, the Israelites were winning. But he grew tired and his arms went down. But he had his brother Aaron and Hur who lifted his arms up. And when they lifted his arms up, then the Israelites won. And it, there's a lesson now, I think, for all of us, really. If you're going through a deep, dark time like we did, it's, it's so important to have people around you who are going to lift your arms in prayer because it's easy to get weary in you. As Joy was saying, you know, you pray and you pray and you don't see what you want or the opposite begins to happen of what you've been praying for. And uh, it can be very discouraging. And we, we went down into the pit of despair at times. But the church was there and people were there to raise our hands when we were despairing. And that was so important. So I think that was an important lesson that we learned. Really helpful. Thanks, Ron. And then, Joe, so what, or Ron, what, between you, what um, has happened? What have you seen gradually happen over the years? Well, very gradually, um, but very surely, all the children have got their own strong faith in Jesus. Um, our relationships and trusts have been restored. They're stronger than what they ever were. And um, it's, I just enjoy coming to church to be with the family of God and uh, knowing the fact that all my my family and my grandchildren are here worshipping as well. Amazing. Thank you, Joy. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's a blessing to have you and them um, in this church as well. So thank you so much for sharing that. Do you know, there's something about our small, persistent daily prayers. And they may seem repetitive to us at times, but the Father does not see them that way. And as Ron said, we don't always know what the Lord is doing in that time and how he might be drawing people to him. It's said of the great preacher D.L. Moody that he carried a list of 100 non-believers who he prayed for every day. And over the years, whenever one of them came to faith, he crossed their name off that list. And by the time of his death, 96 of those 100 people have become followers of Jesus and then the remaining four gave their lives to Jesus at his funeral. One of my best friends at school, I used to pray for him, occasionally got to speak to him about faith and about church, but never seemed to get much back from him. A couple of years ago, he messaged me to say that he'd given his life to Jesus and he was getting baptised. And you know, there's mystery in this, of course, because what about the other people that I'm praying for? And why doesn't God move at our pace? And why does he seem to leave some prayers unanswered? And the truth is we just don't know. There's mystery in this and we have to leave room for the sovereignty of God. But we must persist in prayer. Don't give up on praying. Pray in partnership with the Father. There's power when we pray. And let's persist in prayer. And let me just finish with this. The book of Revelation describes the prayers of the saints. That's your prayers if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus. And it talks about those prayers as being like incense, a pleasing aroma that rises up to the throne room of God. And that's what's happening in the throne room right now. As God's children pray and cry out to him, he hears those prayers. See, when Jesus died for you, he did it so that you could know relationship with the Father. 
He made you righteous. He qualified you to come boldly before the Father. He won sonship for you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a son of the most amazing Father. You're a daughter of the most amazing Father. And the truth is that through the great noise of the universe, your Father hears every single prayer that you pray. So when we pray, as we're going to pray in a moment, your Father hears. When you come this week to one of our prayer evenings and you pray with a group of people or on your own, your Father hears every single prayer that you pray. When you're sat tomorrow morning on your sofa with a cup of coffee and a blessed list, every prayer that you pray, your Father hears. He hears every single prayer you pray. He loves you. He knows the cry of your heart. And he invites you to draw close again, to partner with him in seeing his kingdom come. So let's take up that invitation and let's press into him again in prayer. Amen? Amen. Shame.